Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And before we get started, Peter, happy Mother's Day as we record here on Sunday night in Ontario. To all the lovely mothers out there, I know yes. my, my wife's enjoying her uh, her first Mother's Day with our little guy. But uh, how's everything out your way? Going good, man. Uh, again, happy Mother's Day to your wife and to, you know, your side of the family as well with your mom and everything. Hope they had a great day. And yeah, we just kept it low key with everything. Um, nothing, nothing too major. I mean, we really can't do much. But yeah, we made the most of it. Spent some quality time together, just like it, it should be. Um, speaking of Mother's Day, you know, Shout out to all the hockey moms out there and all the moms in general for, you know, being the backbone for, you know, everything that they do, keeping everything together and, you know, just doing the best they can to just be the backbone. I mean, there's other way to put it. And I have a couple of funny stories, actually, in regards to um, my mom um, when I was playing hockey growing up. And it's one of them. I dealt my first serious injury back when I was like in grade 10. It's like two games into the season. I'm coming down in on like a partial breakaway. Defenseman slides in. I try to jump over. My shin pad shifted and I go flying up against the post and my knee bashes up against it. So I could not move that at all. I had to leave the ice. I had to be carried off. Went to the change room, could not take anything off. Had to be driven to the hospital. And who else is there and emerged with me to get x-rays and scans up until 5 o'clock in the morning. But my mom being there with me to make sure that I was okay because I was in an excruciating amount of pain. Long story short, for four weeks, I was in a cast, had a minor minor ligament sprain tear not not necessarily a tear but like a, a sprain in the muscle where i there was like some damage and i still get a click in my knee every single time i turn it awkwardly and it's just really bad the second story is about a year or two after where um it was a long and grueling game um where we ended up winning i scored a goal in the assist i think I think, keyword I think, I'm pretty sure I did. But um, That's the way you remember it, man. That's the way I remember it. No, definitely. And um, so it was a, it was one of those games where, like, my, like, we were facing a team that we really despised. And my foot was, like, to the pedal, to the metal, every single shift. We ended up winning the game. We go off. As I were about to go off, I turned back and one of my teammates was just like, hey, man, you okay? I'm like... No, I'm not. So I go to the bench. There's a garbage can right beside it. And graphic alert here. I, 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 I spew chunks on the bench into the garbage can. And my mom is literally, because she's always attended all my games. She's walking by. She sees me skinning back. She's just like, what's wrong? And then she, I, she sees me like rip my helmet off and then just go for the garbage can. And she's just like, 
oh my god are you okay so as soon as i'm done i look up i'm like yeah i'm fine skate back off walk into the dressing room as if nothing happened so one of those hardships got the best of me kind of thing but yeah those are some two funny moments that i've had with my mom in my hockey career but they again shout out to all the mothers out there hope you had a wonderful happy mother's day Absolutely. And before we uh, before we send it off to our, our hockey talk, um, quick one for you. Uh, not really hockey related, but uh, definitely mother related. And uh, just a shout out to all the moms out there, as you mentioned, because they really are there for everything. And mm. I think back, you, you were talking about injuries and, and, you know, hospitals and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah. I think back to... Um, uh, there was, I mean, every family's had them where they have little scuffs in, in, in the family, whether it's a night of drinking or what have you. But uh, <laughs> yep. I'll tell you a quick one. When we were at Wasega Beach, we used to go up there to a cottage uh, uh, just on the uh, on the beach there. And, um, you know, our family was getting into the into the bubblies and, and you know, we, we tend to go hard and, and uh, <laughs> you know, we, we love it. But, um, you know, got into it with my brother a little bit and my brother's younger taller and built like an absolute rock okay so he's got the advantage he's got the advantage <laughs> and me being the wise ass that i was um challenged him and said you know what i'll give you one shot i'll give you one free shot Oof. so sure enough my brother's walking towards me and i'm i'm bracing myself ready for a punch i i thought for sure i'm taking a punch here uh walks up square glasgow kiss right in the right in the nose so for those that don't know, the Glasgow kiss is a good little headbutt, forehead to the nose. I was out. Um, this mm-hmm. was, I mean, we're talking one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, and doesn't my mom rush out, <laughs> make sure I get Jesus. in the car with my nose bloodied, takes me to the hospital <laughs> to make sure I'm not concussed because I've had my fair share of concussions and, uh, yeah, um, shout out to my mom for making sure that uh, I got to Collingwood <laughs> Hospital all right. And, and uh, you know, next day we were all good, happy family. And uh, <laughs> I think it brought me and my brother closer. So <laughs> those um, battles, man, those yeah, battles. When, when people talk about getting headbutted, I can actually say that I got it square on the nose and it does not feel good. And I don't think my nose has ever been the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I can manage that it probably wouldn't, especially if it's a full-on headbutt like that. Damn I'm, it. <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm convinced I have a deviated septum at this point uh, because of it. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, like, I, like I said before, that's just how I remember it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, shout out to my brother Dave for that one. But, um, anyways, getting into hockey talk, we, we've been kind of going off of roster uh, roster players from the past and present that have worn the jersey of the episode that we are on. We're on episode 39. We can only do this up until 99, which we all know there hasn't been a Leaf that has worn the number 90. Actually, sorry, I stand corrected. Wilf Paymont wore number 99. So we'll yeah. talk about that back in when we get to that episode. But <laughs> 39... 39 there are a handful actually let's say two handfuls of players that have worn the number 39 for the maple leafs nobody prior to 1981 and nobody since 2016 let's quickly run through those players 1981 to 82 ron zanuzzi 1997 kelly chase 1998 mike kennedy 
1999, Ladislav Kohn. 2000, Jeff Farkas. 2001, oh. Alexei Ponikarovsky. One, one set of the Twin Towers there. Oh, man. 2002 to 2007, now Vancouver Canucks coach Travis Green. 2004 to 2006, Clark Wilm. 2007, Eric Westrom. 2008, Simon Gamash. 2009 to 2011, John Mitchell. 2011 to 2015, Matt Fratton. 2014, Greg McKegg, who got us Zach Hyman. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> and 2016, current Leaf, William Nylander. Yeah. So a couple of handfuls of players wore the number 39. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's been, uh, you know, a ride for Nylander. I think he's on, what, his third number at this third point? Third one. Third there one. There you go. There you go. No, no better way to, to really set your... <laughs> set your your worth to a team than wearing three se- separate jerseys but um i think we all know where this episode's going to go in terms of um the overall talk for the week um we'll start off with some smaller news but we do have two uh current writers for the hockey writers coming on as guests this episode brendan asoff uh and jack dawkins uh both jumping on new york writer and a washington capitals writer jumping on to talk about the brew ha ha that was a brewing in uh, Madison Square Garden, um, and uh, yeah, I mean we'll we'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. That said, I want to start off with a you know a lighter side of the uh, the game and Michael Hauser, a yes. former London Knight, born with two club feet, had numerous surgeries over the first number of years of his life to correct that. And here's a guy who just grinded and absolutely grinded in the AHL, the ECHL. Um, he was part of a, a London Knights team that was, you know, one of the top, if not the top in the CHL at the time. Um, finally gets his shot with the Buffalo Sabres in the NHL and earns his first two wins as an NHL starter. That's the kind of story that you want to hear right now. Yeah, definitely. And just the fact that, you know, he got his opportunity. He's been waiting so long for this. And you're well accustomed and well, very familiar with um, Hauser's play with the London Knights. And just looking back at that team, that was a team to remember that had the likes of Seth Griffith, uh, Vladislav Nemesikov, um, a young Max Domi. Um, my computer's slowing down right now, and I can't, for the life of me, get anything going right now. But it had the Rupert twins. It had a, it had a really strong and steady roster that you know was a like a major contender. And Hauser was the backbone for that team. And coming and getting his opportunity right now, back to back wins of all things with Buffalo Sabers. That just says it all. That that to me is that has to be the brightest point for the Sabres organization this whole entire and for him to come in with the way the team has been and get that opportunity and get them two points and really stellar victories for him that is a phenomenal start or getting that chance that he's desperately been seeking yeah I mean you're talking about a guy who played like 
close to 250 games in the ECHL. Um, you know, and all over the place, Cincinnati, Manchester, again, back to Cincinnati, Fort Wayne, again, back to Cincinnati. It's almost like he kept going back, uh, to a place that obviously gave him an opportunity and, and his numbers in the ECHL weren't bad. It was just a matter of getting that, that little boost to the, uh, to the AHL, to the NHL and getting that opportunity. And, um, obviously with the Sabres dropping the finale, um, the, he was sent back to the HL uh, today, but um, you know, great opportunity for a guy that could, you know, see this as, as an open door to possibly signing somewhere that's going to give him, you know, an opportunity to, to get maybe a few more games come up as a, as a backup or, or, or what have you down the road. But, you know, regardless, if this is the end of the line as an NHL goalie for Michael Hauser, the fact is, is he got his opportunity. And he got a chance to to step on that NHL ice, albeit not in front of fans, but um, you know, a chance to play and a chance to to really live out his dream. And I think when it comes down to it, that's what that's what really matters in this story. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that that you just summed it up perfectly right there. I mean, it this this was again in a week where there was so much going on and so many issues regarding the nhl seeing this story just it it, this is the stuff that you really want to hear on a weekly basis yeah no absolutely and uh another thing that uh, you love to hear is is milestones and obviously anze kopitar hits the 1000 point uh plateau um this is a guy who who playing in la i think has done it so quietly over the years um, the way that he's been able to not only lead that team, but, uh, you know, find a way to, to put up the point production he has while being a yearly Selkie, uh, candidate, um, you know, 33 years old, the guy's got 50 points in 53 games this year and has done it so quietly. Consider this 346 goals, a thousand points in 1126 games. That's not bad for for an out, a guy who was picked 11th overall, and he's got the he's got the you know the uh, individual awards with the Frank Selk. He's got two of them uh, in 2016 and 2018. He's got a Lady Bing, um, and he's got two Stanley Cups as well. So, you know, fantastic numbers. Again, does it so quietly? And we we mentioned this, you know, I, w- I want to say a few episodes with. Um, a few episodes ago with David Krejci and how he's been able to do what he does in Boston so quietly. Now you've got a guy here in, in Kopitar who, I mean, the international play has been there. The, the leadership has been there. The, uh, you know, the awards, the numbers, he's, he's a guy that just continually finds a way to get it done and be a force for the, for the LA Kings, even when they had some relatively poor teams. Um, I, I just think it, it's it's incredible what he's done in his career and to reach the thousand point plateau, um, you know, it raises the question is, is Anze Kopitar a, a Hall of Famer when his career is done? I would say yes. I mean, it would be kind of disappointing if he really wasn't. And it's it, it's just so amazing at how, and you just said it perfectly, at how quietly he did everything. I remember... I believe his career save percentage, save percentage, shooting percentage is at 12.5%, and he's averaged about 67 points 
per season or averaged 60 points, 67 points, sorry, throughout his whole entire career. That's really impressive for someone who's like a very steady two-way playmaking centerman. And I believe he had a his best season came back in 2017-18 where he had a 92 points. That to me is, you know, and like you said, he's been on two really strong contending Stanley Cup winning teams as well as, you know, the Sabres have been the Sabres. The Kings have dealt uh, been dealt a bad hand right now because of the fact that, you know, they are in a, in a rebuilding stage. But who else to be the leader in that rebuilding stage than Anze Kopitar right now? So the fact that he's there to help them out and still be a leader and still be a major factor for that team is a huge bonus for them. Yeah, absolutely. And just just for him being there, um, for him to stick it out the way that he is, you don't hear about a lot of guys now that um, – you know, are willing to stick it out with one team over over their their entire career. Obviously, you see guys like Sidney Crosby who would love to stay with the Pens for the remainder of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like that, you're, I mean, you know that they're gonna do what they can to stay where they are. But a guy like Kopitar to go through rebuild, um, you know, it, it's incredible for him. Obviously, he doesn't need to go chasing a cup. He's got two of them. Um, but for him to do what he's done and and the young group that they have coming up there is so exciting. Akil Thomas, um, obviously Quentin Byfield. Like there's just there's there's so much talent coming up in that lineup that for him it's it's an opportunity to see these guys grow and see the next generation of the game. So I I think it's great for Kopitar. I think it's great for the LA Kings and and what a moment for him to uh, again do reach that thousand point plateau. Again, obviously you know it's disappointing that. Uh, it's not full house when when you're talking about um, you know the fan base and stuff like that. But at at the same time, it's it's an opportunity for him to to just enjoy it and celebrate with his his uh, family and celebrate with his teammates. And that's what the game's all about. So um, yeah. that's that's a fantastic moment. And um, another moment that I really want to talk about is obviously the uh, T.J. Oshie hat trick uh, following yeah. the death of his father. Um, you know, I think we talk about death more on this po- podcast than we talk about some other things. But yeah. um, it, it unfortunately is part of what what life is all about. And um, you know, for for Oshi, obviously losing losing your father uh, in a time like this is is such a tough tough thing. And and for him to go out and and, and score hat trick and and be you know create such an emotional moment um, and in such a emotionally heightened game uh, which we'll get to in a little bit um yeah i mean it's just it's one of those things that you just you kind of you get goosebumps thinking about because it, it's it's a moment that uh, i'm sure he will never forget and you know while it, it won't make anything better it uh certainly makes the moment um that much more important for a guy like him it seems kind of fitting really um, the fact that, you know, he had all this emotion running through him, um, obviously what tempers were flaring with the game, which we will get to in a moment. But this is a story. This is something that definitely should have should take over as the main headline for that game because of the implications that happened. It was just a day removed that he passed. He goes in, plays a game, gets a hat trick. Um, 
in honor of his dad. I mean, that's just really something that you can't fathom. And it's just one of those feel good stories that obviously you want to see happen. And it did. And uh, Peter Laviolette said it says a lot about him and what he means to this team to come in um, and play and have the performance like he did. Um, Nicholas Backstrom had this to say um, in regards to him. I saw he got emotional there at the end, which was understandable. I felt he needed a big hug. I told him, you are the strongest person I know. It's first of all, it's impressive that he actually played today, I think, and how he led the way. We are a family. We are in this together. His loss is everyone's loss. And that last line, it, once someone is, once you feel like someone's uh, family member lost, it feels like a loss for yourself. And the fact that, you know, they all came together, rallied around him and gave him the support that he needed. It, that that that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to see. And that's why the bond in hockey is really strong. Yeah. I think uh, we talked about it with Caleb Dahlgren a little bit, a few episodes ago, but yeah, um, it, it's, it's the side of hockey that when people talk about changing the culture in hockey, it's the side of hockey that you don't want to see go anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it is a, I don't want to say brotherhood. It's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. Um, hockey rallies around hockey. Um, yeah. and, and you see it in all aspects of the game from this to, you know, when, when the Humboldt Broncos bus crash happened and the sticks were put on the, on the, on the porches, um, yeah. All that kind of stuff, uh, it, it really does resonate with you. It does. It does resonate, and it yeah. and it creates, um, you know, it creates this family, this familial feel to not only the game but the people that are involved with it, the people that are fans of it. Um, it, it it's you know, we're not Washington Capitals fans, but. When you see a moment like that for a guy like TJ Oshie, who just went through something so devastating, you rally behind it, and it becomes one of the more important stories of of the uh, of the night and of the week. So, um, to the Oshie family and t- to TJ himself, you know, obviously we we mourn your loss with you, and yeah. and uh, you know for for you to go out there and, and do what you did. I mean, it takes courage, it takes balls, and it takes. Uh, it takes a whole lot of strength that, uh, you know, I can only fathom right now what, what you were going through on that day. And, uh, you know, um, to you and your family, all the best. And, and we hope that you get through this, uh, this tough time as quickly and as, as, you know, as, as you need to, as you Mm -hmm. need to, that's what matters most. Big stick, stick tap of the night to TJ Oshie for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, Mm -hmm. We talk a little bit about uh, Seattle Kraken last episode, and they became a part of the NHL officially. Um, now we could be talking about a player that could see himself in a Seattle Kraken jersey, possibly, as Milan Lucic waived his no-movement clause ahead of the expansion draft. What I mean, obviously we can speculate as much as we want, but is there is there a fire where there's a little bit of smoke here? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no, but he gives them an option. I, I understand that the Flames right now, they're going through a difficult time with their roster and their decisions, and Milan Lucic's contract is something that maybe, you know, that the Flames may want to move on from. So by him waiving his no-move clause 
or possibly making a deal with Seattle at some point would probably help them out in the long run. And even if it gets to a point where they don't protect him for the expansion drafts, he's made available. So he's still, so there are two options. Even if they don't take him, they could still have the option to move him. Whether it, it does lead to something, I don't know, but you know, he is looking in the best interest for the team right now. And he knows that they're in a tough spot. And let's face it, it would have been at some point where his name is going to come up in rumor mills anyways. So the fact that he did that, I mean, it, it shows that, you know, his willingness to, you know, be a team player. And that's a Milan Lucic has had, had his moments in the past being aggressive agitator. But you know what? He is a team player no matter what team he's on with the Bruins or with the Flames or with the Oilers. He is a team player and he'll do whatever it takes to help them succeed. And I think that, you know, he is putting him. He is putting this is a situation where you don't want to see someone be selfish and he's thinking of the greater good for them right now. Remember, too, that this is a guy that's from out west. Um mm-hmm to go to Seattle would I actually probably put him a little bit closer to home in terms of, you know, he played for the Vancouver Giants. Yeah, he's um, Vancouver this, boy. This, this, yeah, he's a Vancouver boy. So this is an opportunity that maybe he goes home, but also he becomes the face of the toughness for a new franchise. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, with what transpired this this uh, this week in hockey, um, toughness is not going anywhere. Uh, getting those guys in your lineup is going to be key to, to the ultimate success. And, um, a guy like Lucic, he might not have it offensively anymore, but he's going to chip in where he can. And he's going to, he's going to hold opponents accountable when they go after your star players. And, you know, Calgary's had a tough year. There's no, there's no question about that. Calgary's had a really tough year. That's an understatement. Yeah. And I mean, obviously (laughs) Lucic, being with Edmonton and then being with Calgary. Um, he's gone through a couple of, of runs here where maybe not ideal teams for, for what he brings to the table. But um, I, I think it's a great move by him to waive the no, no movement clause. It, it, it shows that he's willing to help the flames in allowing them to move him. But it also, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's looking for maybe a fresh start, a, a place where that, you know, he can go and, and, and maybe chip in a little bit, uh, you know, the way he did in Boston. I don't think Lucic is done. I don't oh, think no. he's done. I think there's still a spot in the game for him, um, whether it be like maybe a third line depth guy, uh, but a guy that's going to bring some toughness to your lineup. And, and this is an opportunity to maybe for the Kraken to, to add a guy that, uh, you know, will do just that and um, open the ice for some of his teammates. So I think it's a great move for him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what uh, what transpires as the expansion draft comes very, very quickly this offseason. I think he can be what Ryan Reeves was to the Vegas Golden Knights. New franchise, get, get the energy going, get the blood flowing, and get the... get set the tone because that's what he is he's that Reeves is the very tough customer he sets the tone with his physicality he can drop it same with Lucic so I think he could be that catalyst to get the team or get the momentum going in their first season and be a major factor for them well and like you said points may not show up but that physical aspect is definitely going to play a part especially for a, a team that's you know just getting their feet off the ground 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I think it's a good move. I I, I like it. Um, and uh, yeah, I I mean, I think it's like you mentioned, it's a, it's an opportunity to get a guy like Reeves in the lineup that uh, not not afraid to throw down with anybody and and create a spark uh, when the team needs it. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But speaking of the Canucks and uh, Utica. Um, their AHL Utica team will be moving to Abbotsford. Um, just a small, a small story as, as, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's something that, um, we we're seeing a lot more of, obviously, you know, Toronto had their AHL team in St. John's for the longest time and, and, uh, they moved it to the Toronto Marlies and we've seen Edmonton do the same. We've seen Montreal do the same. Um, it, it seems to be one of those things where they're, they're trying to get their AHL affiliates closer to home. So, Big move, obviously, you know, sad for the community in Utica. They uh, they won't uh, have their AHL team anymore, but Abbotsford will have their have a an AHL team as uh, the Canucks will be moving that way. But um, like I said, great opportunity to have players players closer to the organization, uh, whether it be for call ups or even just practicing with with the uh, with the guys that are on the uh, the NHL or um, roster it gives them an opportunity to, to really develop their their franchise so i think this is a big move for for the canucks and for for vancouver hockey altogether and i think that with the pandemic and everything i think it serves as a, like you mentioned it serves as a placeholder where it's a close location for the team where if they need to call somebody up they don't have to call from the states and the long travel distance to the team and vice versa to go back and forth at least because the, the canucks i mean well the Vancouver is in Vancouver. Uh, geography lesson for the day. Um, the fact that, you know, Abbotsford is back in Vancouver. Uh, you have that small little... Um, oh God, I can't even speak tonight. Uh, the, t- the distance for travel is going to be shorter, just like it is in Toronto with the Marlies and the Leafs. They're both located in downtown. Laval uh, Rocket and the Montreal Canadiens, close distance. So it, it, it makes sense that it's happening in that aspect. Is it only me, or does it bug you that the rocket don't have an S at the end? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just maybe really said, I don't. Look, look. <laughs> I never really gave it that much thought, to be honest. It's just when you said it, and then I was like thinking about it, and I'm like, man, that kind of bugs me a little bit. Just one rocket, not rocket. Yeah, just one, just one rocket. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think we should go easy on you know. The yeah, Montreal in the Habs at this point, based yeah. on been on the weekend, you know. Toronto, Toronto has already beaten <laughs> down on the Montreal Canadiens uh, too much this week, so we'll we'll give you guys a break as we head into the first round of the playoffs. But um, <laughs> going off of that, ESPN, Wayne Gretzky, is there a spot for for Wayne Gretzky on it on a panel? Um, you know, talking and breaking down the game as an analyst. I mean, why not? I mean, I I mean, I, there there was so it's just a report, but I saw it like briefly on the score because you know they provide like really small, uh, up to date uh, news pieces and small news stories as well. And I saw that and I'm like, you know what? It makes sense because you look at the TNT basketball that they have with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley for the NBA broadcasts. Two elite end players in their days being analysts and breaking down plays. And not only that, they're great characters, by the way. 
where they where they have their moments back and forth yelling at each other and that's the chemistry that you want in a broadcast you want the analysis you want the fun lighthearted moments that's what you want to see uh, we see players like Patrick Sharp, Kevin Bieksa, Jeff O'Neill bar- broadcast, and that's great to have players who have played the game no matter what, um, you know, caliber of player they are, whether they're superstar, elite, legend, whatever. But if you really want to expand the game right now, especially with the deals that they made with the NHL, who better than to grow the game in the U.S. than having Wayne Gretzky break down plays on the broadcast? This is something that needs to happen more often. And you know what? The fact that they are potentially the greatest player ever to come on and be a broadcaster, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that saw the game like very few have seen the game. Um, mm-hmm. He saw the ice so well. He understands the game so well. And he knows um, today's game too. Sorry, say that again? He knows today's game as well. Yeah, and he, he you I mean you mentioned he, he knows to get today's game and um I think it it'd be a great opportunity for him. I I think if that were to happen, we need to see personality from him. Absolutely. Um and, and it's it's not a knock on Gretzky. I think he's he's a very I think he's a very private guy. He's a guy that likes his his life away from the game as much as he enjoyed the playing the game. So, um that's the one thing that I would say. I think TV, when you're talking about TV, it's all about having that personality, being a guy that can be charisma, charismatic on the screen and, and bring life to the game uh, for those watching. And that would be my one thing that I would say is if Gretzky's going to get back on you know, the hockey train and get in there and, and, and be a voice for, for ESPN, he's got to bring this game alive um, to, to fans that, might not be totally sold on the game just yet. Um, you're going to have people that just kind of tune in because it's sports. It's on ESPN. Let's watch it. Sell the game. Bring the people in that haven't yet committed and, and you know, suck those people in and make them buy into what you're selling. Yeah. That's where I, that's what I want to see if you're going to bring a guy like Gretzky onto the, onto, onto the, uh, the show as an analyst. And that's why I brought up uh, Shaq and Charles. They are likable. They got personality. They rip on each other. Like, that's what you want to see in a broadcast. And even you look at the TSN broadcast where you have, you know, they pull on Jeff O'Neill, Darren Drager. They all, they got that chemistry. They got that personality. They have the lighthearted moments. And that's what you want in a broadcast. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think a guy like Jeff O'Neill is exactly what you want to have on. I mean, I'm not just saying that because he's a former Leaf. I think Jeff O'Neill is <laughs> a guy that, you know, he's got that sarcasm. He's got that, um, I, I don't know, he's just charismatic the way that he speaks. And he, yeah. he's he's self-deprecating in a way that, you know, is humorous and adds a little bit of lightheartedness to the, to the broadcast. And I think that's exactly what ESPN needs. That's why I want a guy like... Gretzky, I think Gretzky would be phenomenal. I think his insight yeah. to the game would be incredible for people, like I said, that haven't bought into hockey yet. Yeah. I just want to see a guy that's going to be on there, or a girl, a guy or girl, I should say, anybody Absolutely. that's going to yeah. be on there that could bring that lightheartedness, but still analyze the game the way that, you know, a Kevin Biasa has, a, a, the way that a guy like Jeff O'Neill has. You know, even Jamie McLennan has done a phenomenal job. 
I want to see like a, I wish it was like a TV show where you get a pilot, you get a quick pilot mm-hmm. to to show us what what's going to happen, and and that's what I would love to see. But uh, I I think it's a big big move by ESPN. It's a bold move by ESPN. I think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if they they can pry Gretzky away from uh, ultimate retirement and um, see if they can get him in the in the booth and and start talking some hockey again. That that. It would be an incredible, incredible grab for for ESPN if they got him. I, I, I the report read that. Uh, sorry, Andrew, but Gresky won't join ESPN, but it could land on at TNT. So, so that just makes the whole Charles Barkley, Shaq, Wayne Gresky combination even better. If that were to happen, <laughs> so who do you throw on there with him to be to be the Shaq to his his Charles Barkley? Oof. Marty McSorley? That is a good question. I mean, maybe? <laughs> I mean, he was protecting him all that time with the LA Kings, right? So, yeah, that 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 that's a good question. We should probably post that as a Twitter question or Twitter poll. Dave Semenko? Yeah. I, throw out any retired name out there. I, 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 I guarantee it would probably be a great fit no matter what. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's you know, it's like like we always talk about on the show. It's open for speculation, but mm-hmm. uh, I think it'd be a great uh, great grab for whoever could bring him on to talk some hockey. Obviously, like I mentioned, he sees the game way differently than anybody before or after him. And um, yeah, I think it's it, it's just such a solid solid pickup if you can get him. But I want to jump away from the NHL. For a quick second, there is there is a lot a lot more news to to talk about from the Department of Player Safety. We'll get that to that in a second, but before mm-hmm. we get to that, because that's going to lead into our interview, I want to talk about Canada's win in the the under 18s. And our guest from last week, Josh Bell, has been all over the under 18s. Did a yeah. phenomenal job keeping all of Twitter updated. Um, you did a great job by uh, jumping in there a bunch of times uh, with with your commentary as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News uh, <clears throat> was on there as well. Um, there's there's some great follows in terms of you know keeping up with with Canada's run at the under 18s. But I didn't fully stay in touch with everything going on. Obviously, a busy couple weeks, but. Um, Give us your takeaways from from the under eighteen uh, tournament. Yeah, I kind of wish I got into like the clipping or gift game, but my computer is definitely not equipped for that because it is an old, ancient piece of equipment right now. But um, yeah, uh, shout out to Josh for doing a phenomenal job with his updates, articles. Same with Stephen Ellis. Um, this was probably the most dominant Canadian team since they won with Connor mcdavid and that was the last time they won gold medal they won a bronze medal in 2015 but since then they've really struggled to try and like crack a medal spot and my biggest takeaway is and i've pumped the tires on these two for quite some time on this podcast shane Wright and Connor bedard what a performance from both of them especially Connor bedard i mean Here's how special Bedard is. I mean, Shane Wright is special as well. Because of his shot, we, towards the end of the first period, his shot went through some traffic and he went 
he picked the spot to give Canada the lead. And you saw the, his reaction when that went in. He was pumped. But Connor Bedard's mentality, when things aren't going right for him, he bounces back in a big way. We saw that maybe he struggled one game early on, came back and had a four-point performance. We saw him miss a penalty shot in that gold medal game, and that could be a big deal breaker and change momentum quickly for either side. He comes back on his next shift, cuts through three Russian players, and gets a backhand off top corner. I I lost my mind. I was going to say another word, but I lost my mind when I saw that. I'm like, are you kidding me? This kid's 15 years old, and he's putting up, pulling off highlight reel moves like that. And also, can't forget Matvey Mishkov, who was so close to tying the tournament record for most goals behind Cole Caulfield and Alex Ovechkin with 14. He had 12, and including a, a, a Michigan lacrosse-style goal. So he's absolutely phenomenal as well. But this is a prime moment for everyone to get to witness these franchise-altering players. And that was the big takeaway for me. I mean, yes, Team Canada won. There's so many players that you can look at that had a major impact. For me, it was Mason McTavish, Owen Zellweger, and Nolan Allen as well, aside from the big-name players like Brand Clark as well. But I really loved Vili Koivinen and Alexei Haimosalmi from Finland. I thought both did a fantastic job, and Haimosalmi beat one, the defender of the tournament. So... Two names from Finland that you could look forward to in this year's draft. Same with McTavish, Zellweger, and Allen. But man, 2022 with Shane Wright and 2023 with Bedard and Mitchkov. Man, we're, we're, we're getting spoiled these next two years for draft prospects. Yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to Josh Bell, as I mentioned, uh, who got a vote in the uh, the tournament uh, all-star team and, mm-hmm. and did pretty damn well in, ter- in terms of naming who was going to be on it. But um, the little bit that I did see from the clip cutting and all that kind of stuff, I mean, what what talent we've got coming through the pipeline over the next little while. Oh, yeah. Um, you named it Shane Wright, 14 points in five games. Uh, Bedard, 14 points in seven games. Matvey Mitchkov, 12 goals in seven games. Um, just unbelievable, the talent that's going to be coming through the next little while. Even Nikita Chibrikov, who had 13 points in seven games. I mean, and added 14 penalty penalty minutes on top of that. I mean, shout <laughs> out to him for just grinding. Brings uh, an edge. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it's just the fact that they were able to get this tournament in to, to profile some of the, the game's up and coming stars. Um, it, it, it really is a shout out to everyone involved. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we did ask Josh Bell if he thought Canada win, obviously he said, you know, Canada, you know, he's from Canada, obviously he wants <laughs> Canada to win. So congratulations to the Canadians for, for getting that done. Um, you know, Benjamin Goudreau, I'm shouting you out because I wanted to get you on the pod. Let's go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, fantastic. obviously he had a fantastic tournament. Canada had a fantastic tournament. Mitchkov had an unbelievable tournament. Some of those goals are just unreal. Like, it, I mean, I can't even imagine. I think I was riding my bike and flipping it over a curb uh, when I was 15 years old, let alone, <laughs> you know, trying trying the uh, lacrosse-style goal. Just um incredible stuff all around and, and and such a great tournament and like i mentioned 
so happy they were able to get it done and we were able to to really showcase some of the up and coming talent that mm-hmm. uh we're gonna see over the next little while but so, it also speaks to the depth of canada shane wright missed two games mason mctavish stepped up as captain and did a phenomenal job they had contributions throughout the whole entire lineup and even in the metal round Carson, Carson Coleman's. Coleman's, yeah. Another guy that didn't get, I don't think, enough recognition for what he did for Canada. Not at all. And there were times, I mean, he even missed one game as well as a precautionary reason with Shane Wright as well. Comes back and he has an absolutely lights out tournament. I mean, he's he's got a powerful shot on that off wing for a one-timer. I saw Brand Clark try and tee him up a couple times and man, he was just throwing everything at the net. But again, the depth that they had. Um Wyatt Johnson, Brett, uh, Brett Johnson, um, Chase Stillman, Brett Harrison, sorry, Brett Harrison, sorry, um, Chase Stillman, uh, Connor Roulette, those were depth players, and they were in on the forecheck, grinding it out, and you know what, they all did a fantastic job again, and again, Shane Wright, 14 points, even missing two games, that's just unbelievable. Um uh- that's all that's all, uh Connor McDavid's almost that good. Yeah, almost. I mean, yeah, I, I guess Connor McDavid is almost as good as two six a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old, you know? Yeah, no, incredible stuff and as we mentioned, obviously just happy to get it get it done and and get that uh, that tournament in, but um mm-hmm. I think it's time we get to the Department of Player Safety. Yeah. Um, over the last week, fines have been handed out left, right, and center. Suspensions, not so much. But Shane Gossespierre got suspended two games uh, for hit his uh, boarding hit on Mark Friedman. Um, he, as I mentioned, he took two games, as well as uh, Joel Edmondson was fined a thousand dollars for a dangerous trip on John Tavares. Florida's Brandon Montour was fined $5,000 um, for spearing Pat Maroon. And Mackenzie Weger was fined $5,000 for high-sticking Tampa Bay's Matthew Joseph. So, I mean, it's great to see that fines are being handed out. Now, those $5,000 fines end up being about $66 to you and I. Um, <laughs> so, you know, pocket change for these guys. But... um. Tom Wilson was also fined $5,000 for punching Pavel Buknevich um, while he lay on the ice. Is this, we'll get into this with our, with our interview coming up, but is this an issue of the, the Department of Player Safety not really being consistent, or is it an issue of there being so much gray area that they're not really sure what the call should be when handing out punishments to players like Tom Wilson. Yeah, I just think it's a lack of consistency. And we've seen this quite a bit where plays that end up being, you know, suspension worthy end up being a fine and things that should end up being a fine become a suspension. And I should also note that um, Pat Maroon is suspended one game for uh, an unsportsmanlike conduct during that uh, the game against the Florida Panthers as well. So, yeah, I think now with everything that happened with the Capitals and the Rangers, 
we're now seeing an influx of more supplementary discipline because they, I think the department of player safety knows that they screwed up big time with what happened between the caps and Rangers. And now they're trying to make it seem like, Oh, well now we're doing stuff. Well, no, you kind of didn't because if you would have done your job in the first place, you wouldn't have to be throwing all those, those suspensions and those fines probably deserved, you know, some sort of look and some sort of, uh, you know, uh, punishment for it. But the fact that you let things get out of hand for one game and you take uh, everything under a major microscope for smaller incidences, come on. I, I'm, I'm starting to think that there is a lack of consistency right now, and they don't even know what they're doing half the time, I don't think. So to go off of that, the New York Rangers released a statement uh, basically criticizing George Peros for his handling of the Tom Wilson incident. Um, they followed that up by letting John Davidson as well as um, – I'm drawing a blank here um, – the GM of the, of the Rangers, they let them go as well. Um, at what point does this become – a major issue for hockey because I, I kind of joked afterwards. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't think Tom Wilson is going out there head hunting on a regular basis. I think mm-hmm. the wires cross when he's on the ice and you know, he does stupid shit. I think that's what yeah. it is. At he has the no end control. Of the, yeah. At the end of the day, Tom Wilson's not a bad guy. He's a hell of a player. He's got some, some, some talent up front as well, but he's just, the wires cross and he does some dumb shit. But in this moment, the takedown on Artemi Panarin, that to me opened up an entire door to what could possibly be the downfall of um, the Department of Player Safety in the NHL. I think mm-hmm. I I, I kind of joked a little bit on Twitter afterwards, saying you know if I was if I was Buknevich, I'd go around, you know you know spearing and high sticking anybody that I could. Obviously, he did, and he <laughs> was subsequently suspended for it. Um, rightfully and it was, so, it should rightfully have been so, right? Yeah. Rightfully so, it was a high stick cross check right to the right to the face of Anthony Mantha. Um, but that game that game was out of hand before the puck even dropped. Mm-hmm. Because we knew damn well what was going to happen. We knew there was going to be a line brawl. We knew, you know, the only thing I I I surprised we didn't see was a uh, a goalie fight at some point. I I was ex- fully expecting that to happen as well. But oh yeah, um, there was there was a lot to take in over the those two games, and the handling from me of Tom Wilson just with his suspension history is is probably the biggest question mark and and we get in into it with with uh, our our two guests as we get into the interview here but uh, and Jack Dawkins brings up some very valid points in Tom yeah. Wilson in Tom Wilson's defense and I I do to an extent agree with him yeah that being said I do think there is a troubling history when it comes to Tom Wilson mm-hmm. and for me you don't learn your lesson by being fined five thousand dollars. You don't change your game by being five thousand by being fined five thousand dollars. Absolutely, is he being paid? Is he doing what he's being paid to do? Absolutely. Is it the right thing? And that's that's where the question 
of towing the line really comes comes to play because where i'm where i'm standing i i am all for the roughness in in hockey i love the roughness i love you know the unscripted fights i love the hard hits i love the hard nosed plays in the corner but when you're taking down a guy to the ice by pulling on his hair and 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 basically you know horse collaring him that's a problem I didn't even really have an issue with the the Buknevich play. I didn't really have an issue with that. I mm-hmm. I get it. It was people are comparing it to Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore. I don't know about that. That's a little bit of a stretch. But the Artemi Panarin takedown was my problem, yeah. and that to me, when you've already been suspended for seven games this season, and it's been reported that George Peros didn't even want to do that. That's where I'm wondering. That's where I'm. I'm with the Rangers and calling into question Paros's job. Yeah, bang on. And like you said, we've seen fights before. We've seen incidences where players are bear hugging each other and they throw each other to the ground or lose their balance in a takedown. We've seen that multiple times. But he ragdolled him and he basically pulled his hair back, lifted him up, and threw him down. That, to me, is an attempt to injure, and that, to me, is... And he didn't even have his helmet on. Imagine if he hit his head on the ice. He'd be knocked out. And like you said, the fact that, you know, since Peros took over, there has been no consistency at all, and the fact that the Rangers called him out on it, rightfully so, it's deserving. And the fact that Bettman said it wasn't fair, it 100% is fair. There's absolutely no excuse for them to basically turn a blind eye when your best player is basically being ragdolled along the ice, possibly going to head his head on the ice, get a concussion, probably something even serious at that point, because you can't predict the future. At some point, you're going to have to say that if teams and players continue to call out a department that's supposed to protect them, then it's a good time to reevaluate things because the fact that an original six team called you out shows that you screwed up. And there was a tweet sent out by Earl Schwartz. Uh, he does stuff over, I believe, at uh, TLN.com, the Leafs Nation. He brought up a, he tweeted out a very detailed graphic about total games played, the suspensions, and average length of suspensions. Since George Peros took over, things have gone way down. Lengths of suspensions have decreased. So what does that say? And the fact of the matter is that he didn't want to suspend Tom Wilson in the first place for the Carl hit, which is being reported, where Carl ended up in the hospital. You're not going to suspend a guy for clipping him with his elbow, pushing his head into the boards and knocking him out? Like, I, I don't get it. Where's but the logic and reasoning behind that? The crazy part is, is not only did Carlo end up in the hospital, like the repercussions from that hit, emotional distress, um, mood swings, uh, yeah. headaches, um, t- drowsiness, tired. Like, it, 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 it changed Carlo's season altogether, but it also influenced who he was as a person. All effects of CTE. All the and and that's that's the part that I don't understand is 
even Jack mentions it in our interview. The part that the NHL is trying to get rid of is head injuries. Mm-hmm. He was suspended for a head injury. He ragdolled arguably a top 10 player in the league to the ice with no helmet on, which could have caused a serious head injury. That's the part that I bring into question. And this is where I'm going to go out and just say, put in a guy like Mark Savard. Take a guy like Mark Savard, whose career was ended because of a cheap shot. Yeah. And put him in as the head of, um, you know, player safety. Why not see where he takes it? Because he's going to have a way different perspective than a guy like George Peros, who, by the way, let's not forget, got torn down by Colt Nor on the ice and was knocked out cold when he went face first in the ice. No helmet on. You would think that he would know based on his situation that he had previously before. Absolutely. And that's that's the part that I'm 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 trying so hard to grasp is I just mm-hmm. I don't get it. And by the way, Jeff Gordon was the GM of the New York Rangers that I, yes. I for whatever reason was drawing a blank. It's Sunday <laughs> night, you know, it's, it's Mother's one of Day. We're, we're thinking about other things here, but <laughs> um the fact that James Dolan and, and let's jump to James Dolan for a second here because he is he's one of the weirdest owners in all of sports and you know just just ask charles oakley for a (laughs) second but james dolan to go out make that statement and then fire your your gm and your president of hockey ops it just it it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me it it apparently he was going to fire them anyways and and it is what it is but at this point in time like i'm just this whole season for the New York Rangers has been – it's been, almost been like watching somebody's heart rate. Yeah, It's going up and down, up and down. All of a sudden, you know, you've got Lafreniere as your number one pick. You start the season, you're not playing him on a, on a top two line. You're playing him as a third liner. Okay, now Artemi Panarin's leaving the team because of accusations coming mm-hmm. from back home, which – ended up being political Tony Um, D'Angelo Tony D'Angelo yeah like the list just goes on and on injuries to Shesterkin um you know you name it this 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 whole season for the New York Rangers has been a complete debacle Mm -hmm. um when it comes to you know just having a regular season it's on top of on like on top of COVID like this is what you have to deal with I mean it's just it's insane. It's it's almost insane. One of our other New York Rangers writers, Rachel, she wrote a phenomenal piece highlighting the events of what was a very eventful season for the Rangers. I highly recommend checking that out as well. But yeah, th- this has been this is really crazy. I don't understand the firings. I mean, your team is in a good spot with great pieces in place. You're rebuilding. It's going in the right direction. And then you fire them based on a bad season. It probably wasn't going to be great to begin with because last season, as great as it was for the Rangers, you know, they were probably going to have like a down to earth or a fall from reality kind of thing with this year. Granted, they had Lafreniere. They have a phenomenal defenseman in Adam Fox. There were just some things and certain pieces missing that you could have addressed this offseason. They were in a prime spot and a couple pieces away from contending for a playoff spot. And you do that. I, I, it, it boggles my mind. I don't understand what the, why he would even think that. But yeah, it just goes to show 
his decision making as an owner. It's just off the rails, and even the decision making of Tom Wilson, off the rails. So they got that in common, I guess. But at the same time, just jumping back to Tom Wilson for a quick second, John Scott and Colton Orr criticize his actions. What does it say when two top-end enforcers call out the actions of someone doing that right now? I mean, okay, first off, jumping back to Dolan for a quick yeah, second. Yeah, no, no, no. Also, I, I was just posing that as like a, you know, uh, rhetorical question. Yeah, but yeah I mean, yeah. Dolan Dolan was fined 250k for his 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 statement that was released. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to spend the 250k on it, spend the 250k on it. I stand by the statement. I I think that you know to 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 call out George Peros was a good move. Um, that's yes. the one. That's the one thing I'll stand by when it comes to mm-hmm. Dolan. In terms of the question, I I know I know it was somewhat rhetorical, but at the same time you had guys coming out saying you know all 31 teams would love to have a Tom Wilson on the team absolutely yes there's no there's no arguing that just uh, nobody not the crap hears, that he does yeah they they want the Tom Wilson that's going to go out there and put up 20 20 goals lead the league in hits maybe teeter teeter the line slightly but not going to punch people in the in the head while they're down the ice and tearing them down to basically, you know, crack their skull open on the ice. Come on. Yeah. Come on. And, and you then, mentioned it. Colton Orr, uh, John Scott, even George LaRock said he'd come back and sign a one day contract with the Rangers just to beat the shit out of Tom Wilson. And well, that you know would what? be great. You know, George LaRock, as as nice of a person as I'm sure he is, because I've heard that he's he's such a good person. He is. He was an awful hockey player. Um, and, and for him to 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 say that he wants to come back to to beat the lights out of Tom Wilson, what does that tell you about where the game has gone? Mm-hmm. The game needs at least an enforcer in each lineup. And I'm not saying a guy who's going to go out there and stage fights like you know, a, a George LaRock or somebody like that. I'm saying yeah. a guy that can go out there, score you 20 goals, and and be be a force um, when it comes to, you know, playing the physical side of the game. A Tom Wilson without the wires crossing every five games. And what does that say about the players, too? I mean, every single New York Ranger came out and said that, you know, the decision was BS. But the fact that they've had to take action into their own hands when the league didn't shows that the league has no respect for the players at all. I love the fact that Brandon Smith went in for the next game and went after Tom Wilson to answer the bell. I would have done the same thing if I were him. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, a bad hockey player and, you know, just being an amateur in that regard. But... But he shouldn't Again, have to. He, he shouldn't, shouldn't have, have to. to. He's not. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and, and fight the way that a guy like Tom Wilson would. They need a guy like Wayne Simmons who's going to go out there and pound the, the living shit out of a guy like Tom Wilson. Yeah. Brandon Smith's not that guy. Brandon Smith's a, a stay-at-home defenseman that's going to maybe get you twenty points in in any given season. Yeah. But you know he's not. He's not your penalty guy either. He's he's a guy that's going to play the physical game but play it within the rules. He you did. need a guy. I was just going to say, he did throw in some good haymakers there. He did hold his own. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And and all the credit to him. All the credit mm-hmm. to him because he did exactly what every single New York Ranger should have done. Yeah. And another question that I have is how far is too far when it comes to Tom Wilson? Like, where's the line? You think, and, and you mentioned it before, you think a $5,000 fine is going to cut it? If that seven-game suspension didn't clue things in to Tom Wilson that maybe I need to change my game, he just basically got away scot-free here. He's going to continue doing what he's going to do until he gets a Rafi Torres-like suspension of 41 games. He 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 he's going to do whatever he wants. There is there is nothing. He's good. He there's going to be no accountability for his actions. And I did read somewhere where um, Peter Laviolette said maybe he does need to tone it down a bit. Okay, great. But now we need to see that, you know. Look, we all saw him standing in the penalty box after his fight with Brandon Smith. Yeah. Um, there was there was no regret. There was no there was no remorse for his play. There was mm-hmm. no he was he was chipper as as you know, pig and shit. He wanted to he he knew he damn well what he done. He absolutely. He yeah. got away with it. He paid 5 grand. Um, that's a team dinner to these guys. Yeah. Okay? Um, I, I, I mean, it is what it is until the NHL smarts up, they're their own worst enemy, Mm -hmm. they're their own worst enemy. And I, I, you know, it's tough to watch, but it's going to continue to happen. And if, if I'm, if I'm a third, fourth line physical player right now, I'm going around and I'm running star players Yeah, because I know damn well, I'm going to get a $5,000 fine and, and a slap on the wrist and that's it. It did seem like, you know, karma came back because he didn't come out for that second period or after the first period, he was dealing with an upper body injury. And then a game against Philadelphia, where it was like an incidental knee on knee, he left the game in that. And everyone was saying, you know what, it was kind of essentially karma at that point. You know, you do all those actions and yet you're the one that ends up getting hurt in the end. So there's that as well. Yeah, I guess part of me wonders how much of that is just, you know, being cautious with them. But, yeah, um, you know, with that said, I think we've talked about it enough. Uh, we the reason the reason we're setting this up is because we brought a New York Rangers writer and a Washington Capitals writer on the show to discuss the same inst- incident that we have been discussing for the last couple of minutes. So let's send it to our guests, the hockey writers writers staff writers uh brendan asoff and jack dawkins all right folks it's this is what you've been waiting for long awaited we've been talking about it all episode this episode we have brandon asoff our new york rangers writer over at the hockey writers and jack dawkins our washington capitals writer uh to come on and talk about this whatever this incident this whole entire week was regarding tom wilson the new york rangers and the washington capitals brandon jack thanks for coming on i'm just going to get this started with both of you um what was your initial reaction to everything that transpired throughout this whole entire week from the actual incident to the punishments fines suspensions on butinevich initial thoughts uh, it was a lot of whirlwind activity is the best way to put it, I think. And I mean, from the initial incident, I thought that 
it had the possibility of spanning out of control. I, I initially thought about the Devils Rangers a couple of years back when it was a line brawl to start the game and we saw the exact same thing. And I was like, yeah, this is what's going to be happening. And listen, there's, there's a lot of old time hockey in it where players have to police themselves and the department of player safety had the opportunity to kind of put like a nail in the coffin and just, even if it was a one game suspension where you just say, don't play against the Rangers the next night, you, you save a lot of drama and it just becomes a hockey game. But kind of the old, I went to a, a fight and a hockey game broke out to start the first period there. Uh, it, it just led and stemmed out of control from a Rangers perspective. I know we're probably going to talk about that in a little bit, but just a lot of, of hectic activity from a Rangers front. And for the Capitals, listen, people might hate them. That's just Tom Wilson really doing his job. And did he go a little overboard? Sure, it depends where you stand on it. But his job is to go on the edge, piss people off, and he was pretty damn effective at it. So I guess really that that's all you can say about that incident. I felt like everybody overreacted to this incident tremendously. And there were times where I felt like a dis an obvious decision needed to be made and they didn't make the obvious decision and they went the opposite direction, but not really the way everybody thinks for sure. Like the, the first thing, the first thing that, that really made me kind of raise my eyebrow is that uh, the, the memo that the Rangers sent out on Twitter when Wilson wasn't suspended, that was the first thing that made me say, well, wait a minute you guys did that wrong <laughs> like the first so in so if you if you go into and this this was my first problem with the when when this happened is kind of when i this was my pump the brakes moment on this whole thing when the rangers put that statement out on twitter um there is within the rules a provision for a team to request an investigation into a suspendable incident it's it's in i think it's rule 28 it dealing with suspensions teams are able to request an investigation the rangers were within their 24-hour window when it was announced that wilson wouldn't have been suspended they had the ability to officially request an investigation and then they announce on Twitter saying, hey, we're not happy with the ruling, but we've requested an investigation. If you announce then through your press office that you have requested an investigation pursuant to the rules, now you have put the onus back on the Department of Player Safety, back on the league. But when you just come out with basically a sob story, when we're pissed he wasn't suspended, uh, the the I just, everything about that though, and the way that the situation was handled, it, it's like everybody who, who could handle it properly didn't. I, I put a tweet out after uh, the fine was, was laid that it was more of an appetizer to a uh, four course meal. And uh, I, I wonder almost if there was a little bit of, it was waiting, wondering if there was going to be more to come because the original statement was that, the fine was for the incident with Bugnevich. Yep. And I think there was a lot of question whether, was there something coming for the whole Panarin incident? And I guess my question, and, and Peter and I have talked about this on the, on the podcast quite a bit, and, and I, have, I have a number of issues with the Department of Player Safety in terms of consistency and, and gray area and you know, outlining the rules. 
Is this more of an issue with the Department of Player Safety than it is with the actual incident itself? I, I would say, all right, the Department of Player Safety gets, gets a little bit of a bad rap. So I've written, I've written two articles on Tom Wilson regarding suspensions this season. And I recapped his Department of Player Safety record in one extensively. And so it's, it's one of those things where what we as, as fans and we as writers think is suspendable does not meet their criteria on what is suspendable. The, the, what, the best that I can gather from what I've seen about the Department of Player Safety is their primary mission is to prevent head injuries at this point. Their, their existence is to prevent concussions and head injuries. So if you don't have a head injury resulting from a play, there's a good chance that it won't be suspended. If, um, if, there's, if there's a situation where a, a dangerous play occurs – and an injury happens, you might see a small suspension, a la the Alex Edler thing. But I mean, conversely, I mean, you guys, you guys are Leafs fans. Do you remember the incident last? I think it was last season where Athanasiu just he tried to take out Carefoot with a knee on knee, and then Hall came over and challenged him, and he sucker punched Hall and body slammed him to the ice. Yeah, oh, you guys yeah. remember that game? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. How long was Athanasiu suspended for? Probably not very long. Wasn't yeah. (laughs) Wasn't he didn't even he didn't even get a fine. Mm -hmm. So when so you know with that with that incident in your mind where Athanasiu center ice skates out clearly tries to knee on knee, carefoot with intent to injure, and then sucker punches Hall and body slams him and he didn't get a suspension for that. I think that was the same game where Muzzin body slammed a guy to the ice and Muzzin didn't get suspended. Yeah, I think you're I think you're you're right yeah. there. I think it was uh there was a lot of, a lot of questionable plays in that yeah. game. It was it was Anthony Mantha. Um Muzzin they had they were against the boards, they were scuffling and Muzzin just slammed him to the ice and no suspension was levied. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so we take take those incidents and now let's work back to the Tom Wilson thing. They didn't suspend Athanasiu for that incident. They didn't suspend Muzzin for the body slam. So I guess my question about the Tom Wilson thing is what did he do that's suspendable when we've seen in the past that I mean, is it is it the hair pull? Is 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 the fact that, that Panarin's helmet came off and and Wilson got a handful of hair when he went to yank him down to the ice. Is that it? Is is that the thing that makes it the suspendable thing? I just I I don't see it. I I I looked back at the Department of Player Safety rulings. I looked back at similar incidents. I tried to find all the similar incidents I could find. It's it's in my article. I mentioned the Athanasiu thing in that article, and I just didn't see something that. I thought was suspendable. Yeah, I think personally it was the hair pull for me. Um, the Buchnevich thing, the fine was it. It's not really a clean play, but it's not really suspendable based on the track record that he said. But when you put all the factors together that this wasn't Tom Wilson's first time doing something like this, he was suspended seven games earlier this season. Um, 
the, the hair pull to me is just very dangerous, especially when a guy has no helmet on and it's going towards the ice mm-hmm. and Wilson has that much size and weight on him. And that's not all really going through his head at that moment, but it's still a dangerous play. And uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who the guy was, but there was a fight recently where somebody one punched and the guy, a guy down and wound up catching him and holding his jersey up so that he didn't hit his head. And when I think of that, that's somebody who has a respect for that player, doesn't want him to injure. He knows what he did already. He doesn't want the head to hit the ice. This is kind of a complete 180 of that incident. So I would say that the hair pull and that whole Panarin situation is what I thought was going to be suspension worthy, not the Buchnevich incident. Um, and, and contrary to, to what some people are saying, I, I don't necessarily think that Wilson was out there trying to do that. The Buchnevich one, I mean, there's, there's intent there to – maybe not injure, but to, to stir the pot a little bit. The Strom incident, he runs in there. He's already entangled with Dowd while Strom's on the ice. He starts to throw punches. Now, I talked to, to Doug Smith, who was the uh, like guy for Goon, right? Doug Glad, everyone's seen Goon. It's based off Doug Smith. And I said, if you were an enforcer and you were out there on Rangers bench, you'd think he does that. And he goes, probably not, because he has to answer the bell. Rangers don't really have anybody. So you can kind of blame them for that, too. And, and they did answer the bell the next game. But regards to suspension worthy, I think that this was more everyone being angry at the Department of Player Safety for not even trying to protect what is arguably a top five player, definitely a top 10 player in this game right now. And he's done for the season now. Are they probably holding him out precautionary? Yes. But still, if you're not going to go out there and suspend somebody who's already been suspended once this season, five times in his career over body slamming one of the stars of the game, and who are we really protecting in this league? So I think it's more Rangers fans angry at permanent player safety, and it just happens to be Tom Wilson again. So I'm going to throw a follow-up question out there to you, uh, Brendan. Does this open up the position of not not maybe enforcer, but Tom Wilson-type players on teams where, yeah, they've got the skill level to go out there and score 20 goals, but they also, you know, they're going to they're gonna force people to answer the bell a little bit as well? Yeah, I don't know why it's ever gone away. And I can understand the, the skill set and how people are, you know, we want to see a fast-paced game. And when you watch somebody like McDavid, it's so fun to watch. But at the same time, throughout the course of hockey history, right, it's always been a physical game. And if you're going to have assets, you got to protect. I tweeted out after it. I said, it's about the when you buy jewelry, you put in the safe to protect it, right? The Rangers have their jewelry. You have Panera and you got all these top picks. Protect them now. I mean, that, that's what you got to do. And we're not talking about go out on the street and get somebody that's a straight goon. Uh, you got to have skill to play in this NHL nowadays. But when the Rangers were going to cup finals, conference finals, they had a fourth line that was just impossible to play against, where you could get, you could try to go on them. And they had, you don't look at these guys like a rough, a cross, an or an ash, and a skill guys, but they were just so good together at just disrupting the opposition. The Islanders have it now. Wilson does it now with the Capitals. Capitals have Hathaway, a lot of big bodies that do it. I don't think you need three or four of them, but I do think you need at least one of them that could send a message, especially in an incident like that where your star players in a scrum you shouldn't be in. And I do think that you brought it up too, that the initial body slam on Panarin, because now he is out, he is injured as a result of it. Uh, He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. And I think that's where people or many in the hockey community thought that that was the initial incident where it resulted in an injury. It should have probably led to some sort of supplemental discipline, but there has been a recent report and it's, and I'm just quoting this air quotes as a report because um, there was talk that Peros didn't initially want to suspend Wilson for the first suspension that he had this year for his hit on Brandon Carlo, even though Brandon Carlo was taken to a hospital. 
if this report is true, how can the players feel safe knowing that someone like this is just going to run around and take shots like he did on Carlo and possibly have an attempt to injure like a star on Artemi Panarin? Do the players feel like they need to try not necessarily take action in their own hands like they did? I mean, obviously answer the bell when they need to, when they have to fight, but also like take a stand against the department of player safety to feel that players really don't have their back protected because of it. Well, I wanted, I wanted to pump the brakes real quick on, on two things. One of them being, so Panarin, the Panarin lower body injury, first off, the injury Panarin suffered in that body slam was a lower body injury. If you check the Twitter reports prior to the game, Panarin skipped that morning skate with a lower body injury. So we're not we're not talking about Wilson, you know, caused this injury. We're talking about this set of circumstances. It made this made a pre-existing injury slightly worse. We're talking a precursor about, kind of thing. We're talking about Artemi Panarin jumped on Tom Wilson's back knowing he had missed the morning skate with a lower body injury. So I wanted to pump the brakes on that one. And the other one I want to pump the brakes on is I don't know when this happened. I don't know when this narrative came out that Tom Wilson doesn't answer the bell. Go look at Tom Wilson's hockey fights profile. Tom Wilson has fought Adam McQuaid. He's fought Zadino Chara. He's fought Matt Martin. He's fought um, Ryan Reeves. And I was at the devil's game where Tom Wilson sent John Moore off on a stretcher 2016. Uh, they're going into going into the wall and he just boards John Moore right into the wall face first. Moore goes off the ice on a stretcher. couple shifts later, if you guys remember Luke Gazdick played for the Oilers for a bit, a mm-hmm. couple shifts later, they're at the face off. Luke Gazdick says to Wilson, you know, you got to pay for that. Wilson nods. Yes. And they go. And he took his licks from Gazdick. I don't know why there's this narrative and people have this idea that Wilson won't answer the bell. If now, if you know, if they're in, if they're in a tight game in the third period and there's a minute left and you know, he doesn't want to put his team down a man, then yeah, he might not do it. But every time that in it, that an enforcer in the league has ever come over to Wilson and said, Hey, you got to pay for that. Most of the time, he drops his gloves and he goes. And the Rangers had the opportunity to do that in the third period of the game where this happened. Wilson got four minutes and then 10 minutes. He was there in the third period. He was on the ice. The Rangers could have, somebody could have just gone and gotten him in the third period of that game. They were already eliminated from the playoffs. All you had to do was look up at the scoreboard and see, oh, Boston beat New Jersey. We're eliminated from the playoffs. You had you had that third period to settle the thing with Wilson in that game. They chose not to. They chose to hand it over to the Department of Player Safety. And then the Department of Player Safety fined him, and that wasn't good enough. So that's how you end up with the melee on the Wednesday game. But I don't understand where the, the narrative of the idea that, that Wilson doesn't answer the bell when he's called to it the uh the evidence on that history is very different to the narrative i'm seeing pushed around twitter yeah i think uh, going off that i think all of us here we understand that you know wilson will answer the bell when 
you know, when needed. Like I, 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 I think of the fight when he, when he fought Simmons and Simmons, you know, Simmons handed it to him a couple of years back. And I mean, he's, there's no question here that he's ever, ever going to answer the bell. And that's why I raised the question is that, is this kind of opening the door to, you know, a team like the Rangers who maybe don't have an enforcer type player that can put up, you know, put up 20 goals and 40 points or what have you. Um, you know, this kind of opens that door to bringing those players back in. But I, 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 I am hesitant to say that because obviously we saw, we all saw George LaRocque, uh, you know, tweet, Hey, bring me on on a one day contract and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go after Wilson, whatever, but you know, there's a lot of, I think it goes back to old time hockey where you got it. You have a guy like, you know, Eddie Shaq, who's going to go out there and, and, you know, put up some points, but also be that guy that, you know, holds people accountable. And I wonder if we're going back to where, it's going to be, it's going to be on the players to really police the game. I think you have to, if you're the players, there's no one that's going to do it better than, uh, than the players themselves. And like Jack was just talking about, Wilson has answered the bell in the past. The, the narrative is kind of there because I think Wilson plays on the edge so much that he can't answer every single time he does something. But Colton Orr actually came out after that game. He said that Wilson would never fight him and, and all this stuff. He started spewing that rhetoric and, I mean, Colton Orr was, I know he played for the Leafs a little bit too. He was a, he was a bad man on the ice. I mean, not a lot of people wanted to toss knuckles with him, but uh, if, if you had that impact, I'm not saying that Wilson doesn't go on that rampage like he did, but he's a little more cautious. You know, it's, it, there is a factor there, especially if it's a big time enforcement. So I think that the players do have to start to police themselves a little more and, and teams like the Rangers who are built primarily on skill and have loaded up on skill and, I mean, this is a team you're talking about. It's the start of the year, the youngest team in the National Hockey League. Glenn Sather said he went to the locker room after the game, and, and the majority of these players had never even been a part of a fight, let alone a game that started off like that. And when you got Ryan Strom, who has to throw some, you know, hands, you got five foot seven Colin Blackwell fighting. Like, th- these aren't the guys that you can handpick and say, we want you to police us. And, and to answer Jack's point, they, they could have gone after him in the third period, but who was going to do it? I mean, the only one that really could do it was Smith. Uh, Smith is the one that wound up fighting him on Wednesday. Uh, they don't have that guy. Lemieux would have been that guy, and Lemieux definitely would have gone after him in the third period. So uh, I think that it's on the players now to start to gradually police themselves again. And uh, listen, people hate fighting, right? People love fighting. You're either on one edge of the sword. I think it's it's a huge part of this game. And I'm not calling on every game to be a, just an absolute melee, but to, to try to remove it and there's a reason it's there. It's engraved in the sport because it prevents injury. Yeah, I know people always talk about it, but there was a study that came out a while back that talked about there's more injury from getting hit in just the regular gameplay than there is from anyone fighting. And I mean, when, when you're fighting, you know what's coming, right? It's You don't have to drop your gloves unless it's an incident and there's a code about that, but, but you're ready for it. And then the more dangerous plays that have to be eliminated are the hits from three feet away from the boards where you're going into a weird angle and I think that we have to realize and embrace it and, and try to eliminate, you know, five fights a game and these 300 penalty minute games, but still keep that policing and fighting a part of hockey. How far is too far for Tom Wilson? Cause it seems like every single time when he is at the epicenter of a controversial incident, like this one right here, it seems he's pushing that line further back. At what point if at any point the department player safety, or I, I even saw that one point that even Peter Laviolette said that maybe he does need to dial it back a bit after the incident. He said like, you know, make sure that everything is in check, but 
at what point are is everyone just going to say enough is enough with Tom Wilson? Well, I think I think your first problem is the problem that every team in the league is perpetually looking for Tom Wilson. Every every team wants mm-hmm. this guy, and that that's the thing. It, if uh, I forget who said it, somebody said it on Twitter. They said if Tom Wilson was made a free agent tomorrow, 30 teams would call about him and 15 teams would lie about it. It's and every and you can see it where you see a guy like Lawson Krause go in the top 15 in the draft. Teams are looking for that power forward who can also, you know, throw hands when he needs to. Like Chris Kreider used to do a bit when he was younger. Yep. You know, teams teams are looking for the the Devils use Miles Wood in that role. Um, the Golden Knights keep Ryan Reeves around. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, the Islanders have a couple of guys who can, who can throw hands if they need to. So I think, I think teams are looking for that enforcer, but now I think that enforcer has to be able to do more. He's got to be able to contribute probably about 35 points a year. He's got to be able to kill penalties um, you know, you, that guy has to be more versatile and Tom Wilson's kind of a unicorn in that regard. He has kind of redefined that role of what an NHL power forward is. And he's kind of started an arms race in that regard. Everybody wants that player. Teams are drafting, trying to find that player. Teams are aspiring to get that. So when you have that, the, the the answer is when is enough is enough for Tom Wilson is we're talking about Tom Wilson. Everybody watch like the, all of the hockey world watched that Rangers capitals game, an otherwise meaningless hockey game, like not for nothing. Rangers are out of the playoffs at that point. There are games on with playoff implications and everybody's watching this game. Why are they watching this game? Because of Tom Wilson enough is enough when Tom Wilson doesn't make the league money anymore. That's, uh, that's, that's very fair. Yeah. That's a very state fair statement. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's, you know, everybody looks at the incident or, or, you know, whatever side you stand on and um, you know, they're looking for controversy and, and I mean, that's what, that's what social media is all about. Now that's what fandom is all about is we're looking for a little bit of controversy I do want to throw back over to Brendan for a sec um, because the following game, Buknevich goes out and cross-checks Mantha in the face. And me personally, just having watched Buknevich, I don't think that happens if the previous game doesn't happen. He obviously gets suspended. Initial reactions to that. I mean, he deserved the suspension. (laughs) He got him good right in the chops. But I honestly watched the play and – I, I don't think his goal there was to cross-check him in the face. It looked like both their hands came up at the same time, and he just got a little higher because Buchnevich isn't a dirty player. So they, I, he, was, he was pissed off, though, that whole game. And I, I was laughing earlier on when he went into the corner and slashed Tom Wilson. And I, I'm thinking, Booch, you don't want to be doing that. Like, that's a bear you don't want to poke at because <laughs> you know he's going to turn around and fight. And Wilson kind of looks at him and he, he made that initial like step, like, if you want to do this, we'll do it. But there was also the, if we do this, you're probably going to wind up on your back on the ice. And, uh, he was just angry that whole game. And no, if, if what Wilson does the game before that, 
the Booch never doesn't play in on that type of line. He never does. He usually stays away from those types of altercations. Like he'll go to the scrums in front and pull people off, but he's never the guy that's initiating anything. So it was good to see that, you know, he has that little anger and that passion in him. And you saw it from a lot of the Rangers players. Like I would never expect Strom to drop gloves off a face off like that. He did it. So Panarin wound up posting that the Rangers logo after the game on his social media, like to show, Hey, I appreciate what you guys did for me. So I think all in all, he deserved the suspension, but that, that fire and that intensity, especially on a team that's looking for that extra grit camaraderie wise, it, it definitely helped everything. And I'm, I was just shocked. I didn't give him two games just so he's done for the season. Uh, the one game to come back, it really didn't make much sense to me at all. So uh, he'll be back today and, and we'll see if he continues with that chip. Cause I'm sure that Marshawn will be up his uh, skirts there trying to, to poke him a little bit too. And, and we'll see how he carries over, but, he definitely deserved the suspension. He got him pretty clean. Yeah, safe to say, uh, I think Panarin might uh, be looking to sign in New York long-term after seeing the way the team uh, went to bat for him afterwards. But before we close it out here, Jack, my goal here is to see if you'll admit that sometimes Tom Wilson, the wires cross and he loses control. Any chance we get you to admit that? I mean, I, I have written about, I've written about that. There's no... Like my article covering this, it's been, it was less than 60 days from one event to the next. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, he definitely plays on the edge, but that's what the league wants. It's, it's very profitable to have Tom Wilson play on the edge the way he does. And I had one, I had one, I wanted to throw at Brandon and I had some, something to stir the pot, if you will, <laughs> but if you had your choice between Tom Wilson body slamming Panarin or Tom Wilson stiff arming Panarin backward, getting his gloves off and hucking punches at Panarin, which, which one are you taking? Well, you take the body slam. We all, I mean, we saw what Ovechkin did to Spetsnikov, right? I'm not, you don't want yeah. that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, well, if, if Panarin was in the situation where he drops his glove to Tom Wilson, we got to seriously question why Panarin would even be doing that in the first place. But yeah, the body slam is definitely the way to go, especially if you have a helmet on. I, I think that the thing that that everyone was looking at, at least my was there was no helmet and he did pull his hair towards the ice. Like like you mentioned it. That that was the part that you could draw across in the line. And in regards to Tom Wilson, it the only person he's really gonna hurt in the end is his own team. I mean he's so valuable, especially come playoff time. If he were to get a suspension now that carried over to the postseason that hurts the Caps. Like, I know people look at him as a villain, but he's integral to that team's success come the postseason. So I think if he dials it back, it's not because of the league asking him to, it's because he goes, boys, I need to be here in this lineup and, and help you guys win a cup. So it, he's got to dial it back, not for the league's sake or injury's sake, but for the capital's sake. I'd say that's that is very fair. No, and uh, and you know this has been a very eye-opening situation as to like where things are going to lie in terms of the department player safety, who's at fault, and it's just a bunch of other aspects coming in into one giant topic. But Brandon, Jack, thank you so much both for coming on this show to talk about um, this incident, and let's hope that maybe in the future there is nothing against with Tom Wilson and the Rangers again to try and avoid conversations like this again but again thank you guys for coming on giving your thoughts and your perspectives on the situation and we just wish nothing but the best of you and hope you guys are staying safe thank you you as well yeah you guys too good luck up there huh yeah thank you (laughs) appreciate it
well, Peter. Some pretty good conversation going there. It didn't get as heated as maybe some might <laughs> think, but that's all right. We're all friends over at the Hockey Writers. We've, yeah. we've, we've got that familiar familial mentality. Um, but uh, some some great points raised by both sides, and and that's exactly why I wanted to get both sides on because you know Jack obviously you know he's a guy that has no issue talking defending a guy like Tom Wilson. And obviously there's like I mentioned, there's no hate for Tom Wilson. Yeah. There there's is some hate. merit. There's merit behind what he's saying. There's merit behind what others are saying as well. Mm-hmm. That said, we got Asaf's um, side of things as a New Yorker as well. And, and what his thoughts were from a Ranger standpoint, but uh, yeah, I, I loved having both of them on. And I think it's something that uh, we'll definitely do again. Look, uh, moving forward. I love the fact that Brandon brought in the guy that Goon was based off of to highlight the points and that he talked with him because you saw you, you the, the the opening line brawl was basically one of the scenes that was reenacted from Goon where it's just like, you know, 18 seconds into a game and everyone's just throwing punches. That was essentially that instant right there. But you know what? Yeah, you had great arguments from both sides from the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers side of things. And this is why we wanted to get their take on it. it. It's something that's a really hot topic issue and getting both sides and hearing them out. It was absolutely a great conversation. Yeah, I know it was phenomenal. And uh, thank you to both of them for coming on once again. Um, obviously we will be happy to have both of them on again, assuming that this is not the end of it, which I think we all know this is not the end of it. Not by a long shot. That said, uh, before we get into Maple Leafs talk, there are two quick notes that I forgot to mention. Um, the Arizona Coyotes announced uh, that Rick Tockett will be parting ways with the franchise. Um, obviously, a, a stellar head coach, a guy that uh, will definitely land on his feet. John Tortorella also will not be back next season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. That, that was announced as well, that uh, he will not be returning after six seasons with Columbus. He's the winningest coach in franchise history. Um, he's another guy that is definitely not done. Yeah. I do want to mention as well, former New York Ranger, as we have it, uh, and Montreal Canadian, Brandon Proust is taking a lot of heat online after his comments uh, surrounding COVID-19 and in how it relates to Canadians that have died from cancer and diabetes. I don't know if you want me to read the tweet. Um, I, I'd I'd rather not. Yeah. It it was, it was a questionable comment. I mean, stats aside, I I haven't looked up the numbers, so I don't know if how, how real his stats were, but just it, it it was a little bit of ignorance in terms of, Mm -hmm. of what he had to say. Um, yeah. but if, you know, if you want to, if you want to go and check out the tweet, by all means, check out Brandon Prost on Twitter. He's very yeah. outspoken. Sometimes you agree. Sometimes you not, you don't, you know, it's a hot and cold subject when it comes to a guy yeah. like that, but yeah, um, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I just can't deal with that at this point. You know, yeah. it's yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. There's, you know, there's, yeah. Um, anyways, jumping over to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's why you guys joined us. That's why you listen in to our two-hour episodes. Um, some good news on the injury front. Nick Foligno has been skating. He is uh, listed as day-to-day. 
Uh, obviously skating on his own at this point in time. The injury still not really revealed as to what happened uh, to force him to leave the game. That said, the Leafs would be happy to have him back as soon as possible. On top of that, Rick, or sorry, Rick Nash, Riley Nash and <laughs> Zach Hyman have both also started skating, obviously wearing non-contact jerseys in practice, but they are skating with the team. And Frederick Anderson has made two appearances with the Toronto Marlies. Not anything you want to write home about just yet, but what does that mean for the Maple Leafs moving forward? Yeah. Um, listen, you don't want to draw conclusions from a conditioning sin in the AHL, and it's only two games. He missed roughly two months of game action. Um, he did have that knee injury, which was, you know, one of the main reasons why he was struggling at that point. And you wanted to make sure that, you know, you want to get him back into game shape so we can get back to the form that, you know, we all know uh, the Frederick Anderson from, you know, the three years ago, to, uh, four years ago, five years ago, because the last two seasons have been, you know, kind of a disappointment. And it was expected that he was going to be shaky. I mean, his mobility probably wasn't going to be up the par, especially considering of, you know, the location of his injury. And we shouldn't look too much into the results because the first game, I watched both. The first game, he really didn't get quite enough help from the team in front of him. Um, you know, the first goal that I saw was off a really bad turnover at the blue line and it just and it just shocked him. Like that that would shock any goalie at any level, at any league or any caliber as you, if you're a goaltender. Second game is where, you know, things start to get a little bit iffy because he did have some really stellar moments. But there were points where, you know, he let in a few goals that he probably should have had. And that's that was a talk among Leafs fans. You know, those are goals that Frederick Anderson were prone to Frederick Anderson was prone to giving up. And again, this is why I'm going to say you don't want to draw too many conclusions because the AHL is a very competitive league especially right now with the wave of talent that's coming up there with all the rising stars that are playing in that level right now. I mean, Cole Perfetti just had a nice shot against him and he scored. Um, he is facing tough competition. Um, would you like to see better results? Absolutely. I mean, six uh, face value, six goals, 885 save percentage and 377 goals against in two games. That doesn't appeal to the eye. And again, I know he's coming back from an injury, but you want to get some sort of consistency and better numbers and him being comfortable to play. And especially right now, if this comes down to the if it's coming down to the playoffs, you you and if Frederick Anderson is healthy to be at least be a backup, that's probably all he's going to be because Jack Gamble has been lights out for this team so far. Yeah, no, and I, I guess that brings up my next my next question for you. Um, are you comfortable going into the playoffs with Jack Gamble as your starter? Given from what we've seen the past week, I would say yes. Because even that game against the Montreal Canadiens where they lost in overtime and they had a lead, they came back. I'm trying to figure out what the actual score was. Because I know they play Montreal quite a bit. So, yeah, they lost 3-2 in overtime. Came back in and had a dominant performance the next time they played 5-2. Jack Campbell made 19 saves out of 21, 905 save percentage. Normal numbers. And considering the fact that, you know, 
uh, they went at Caden Primo pretty early on. That did most of the damage, but at the same time, you know, he still made some pretty lights out saves that you want from your starter. He kept them in the game when he needed to, and he kept the, you know, gave them a reason to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're getting the shots against, but at the same time, you know what? I'm going to stand my ground. The same game or same thing happened where, you know, it looked like, you know, he should have had probably the Nick Suzuki goal in this in the third game, but then Toronto rallied back. So I think his mentality right now is getting much better where he's not getting so down on himself and hard on himself. The fact that he let in a bad goal or a couple of goals, even after a loss. He's getting that mindset, and he's getting more mentally tough right now, and that's what you want heading into the playoffs. You don't want to say, oh, okay, I lost a game in overtime, and then you lose another two, three games after that. He's focused. He's dialed in. I'm all for it, and you know what? The numbers speak for itself, too. Alex has said it. Alex Hobson, our other Maple Leaf writer, has said it quite often. Ride the hot hand. He is hot. I mean, look at his stats. Look at his record. It's it's the best out of I don't want to say the league, but it's up there with some of the best starting goaltenders right now. Yeah, no, I I, I think this is the season where anything can happen. And and for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs to go into the playoffs with Jack Campbell as their starter, I don't have any issues with. The way he's played, the way the team's played in front of him, there's something something different about how the team's played in front of him. And... As much as I love Frederick Anderson, I just think right now is not the time to insert him into the lineup, especially yeah. this late in the season, especially with the way that he's come back and, and started with the Marlies. It's There's far too many questions surrounding his game. And for me, it, it comes down to I, I you're running with the hot hand. Jack yeah. Campbell has been your guy all season long. You go with him. You see how he does. If he falters, then you bring in a guy like Frederick Anderson. But at this point in time, I think Jack Campbell's the guy that you want to, you know, you want to start the playoffs with. And and I'd be I'd be shocked if they went any other way. And I think you look at the difference too, in the because the same team that's playing in front of Jack Campbell is the same one that plays in Frederick Anderson. I mean, yeah, there the the the, the defensive lapses uh, for both goalies. But Jack Campbell is making. I don't want to. Jack Campbell is making the saves that he's supposed to make. Frederick Anderson is letting in some weeks. Is letting in some weak goals on shots that he should say that you know. When you look at Jack Campbell, he's making them. Yeah, Campbell has had a few stinkers every now and then, but not compared to the ones that Frederick Anderson has let in. And the ones that are that Frederick Anderson have let in, especially in his second game. Those are the goals that are concerning. And even right now, considering the fact that he's a free agent, his t- if he's still putting up those kind of numbers, even in an AHL stint, is his time coming to an end? And then you could probably use the leftover $5 million that's coming off his contract to be used elsewhere. Maybe give Jack Campbell a slight increase on a short-term deal to see how well he can do in two years. I, I, I don't know. You want Anderson to succeed, but it's just not there at this point. Yeah, there's there's for me there's no way that, that Anderson's coming back. Um mm-hmm. like you know, he you he mentioned in his press conference that 
you know, he knows what he's worth. So this injury doesn't really play into uh, contract negotiations. And that to me tells me that he's going to be asking for more than maybe what uh, the Leafs are willing to pay. And, yeah. and if that's the case, you know, you mentioned it, either you go, you go the, the route of, of Jack Campbell, or you look to maybe make a move in, in, in acquiring some guy, somebody like, you know, maybe a, a, a Jonathan Quick or a Darcy Cooper or something like that in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Some, somewhere where you can move salary and still maintain the a, a respectable, you know, one-two punch in, in net. But I, I don't see Anderson coming back, and I think that's maybe why they're looking at Campbell as the potential starter for the playoffs. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I'm not giving you any playoff hockey pool uh, – um, advice, you know, advice because who knows what's going to happen at this point. But I wouldn't, I, I'd be, I'd be shocked. Let's just say I'd be shocked if I saw Anderson as the starter going into Game One, uh, mm-hmm. come playoff time. I will say this: Jack Campbell helped me out of fantasy hockey, winning the championship. So, you know, thanks, Jack. Really appreciate it. There you, there you go, <laughs> there you go. And uh, this past week, the Leafs also signed. Um, former KHL player Kirill Semyonov um, to a entry, well, I guess a somewhat entry-level deal. Um, but the 26-year-old's coming off a, a championship win in the KHL. He spent a, he spent a lot of time over there. Um, again, another depth center, uh, 6'1", 176 pounds. You know, this he's not the most offensive player, 26 points in 60 games this past season. He was the uh, assistant captain for avant-garde Omsk of the KHL. And in the playoffs, he put up nine points in 23 games. But he's a guy that also brings a little bit of a physical edge to his game. What are your thoughts on this signing for the Maple Leafs? Um, also won the, the KHL Cup, too. So he's got that to his resume. That's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I'm don't want to make any major or lofty expectations i mean this just seems like a depth move at best um depending on what's going to happen with free agents next year i mean he has a shot to be a fourth line player kind of like what alexander barabanov was this year but at the same time if the maple leafs are bringing players back like jason spezza joe thornton wayne simmons considering how well they played recently um it just serves as like a depth and reassurance. Probably going to see a lot of time in the AHL, but if he does get that chance, he could probably be an effective fourth line player. You know, he, he, uh, you mentioned that he plays with a bit of an edge, and that's what the Toronto needs. They are looking for players that have that sandpaper. Um, not necessarily like, you know, Zach Hyman kind of grit, but to get in and, you know, not necessarily have, sorry, not have Zach Hyman type of production, but have that same type of edge. Sorry, my thoughts got a bit crossed there as, you know, this episode has gone so far. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something minor. I'm, if he does get in, great. I would love to see more of him because there's, I really haven't seen a whole lot of him. But at the same time, if he does get in, great. I want to see what he can do. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's a minor move. Uh, it's very much resembling of uh, the Barabanov uh, move, where you bring him in, you see what he can do. If he can't, if he's not really living up to expectation, you kind of move him. 
Mm-hmm. And and I I don't have any issue with that. I think it's it's a good move by the by the club. It uh, takes up a roster spot, but uh, he's a guy like I said. Then maybe down the road you can move and maybe succeed somewhere else, as we've seen with Barabanov in uh, San Jose. So um, I, I I don't mind the move. It is what it is. Um, obviously comes with that uh, KHL championship pedigree. Not sure how that translates to the NHL. Uh, shout out to Nail Yakupov and um, <laughs> Ilya Kovalchuk. But uh, that being said, uh, yeah, just a minor move for the team, and and we'll see how it goes playing or moving forward. That said, I want to talk about probably one of the bigger stories of the the past week in the Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Heart Race Trophy. Heart, heart trophy race that uh, we have going on. Obviously, I'm not going to take anything away from Connor McDavid. What he's done this year is just unbelievable. Um, best point production in terms of points per game over the last 25 years. But, and I say but, not as a Leaf fan, but as a hockey fan. Matthew's goal Matthews is goal scoring on he he's he's scoring on a clip that is arguably the best in the last 35 years. I don't think that anybody will beat McDavid when it comes to his when it comes to the the Hart Trophy. I do think that Austin Matthews is underappreciated and undervalued when it comes to the discussion in terms of MVP. Now, I know there's we're we're gonna have all of Edmonton up in arms after our, after <laughs> we post this, but hear me out. Austin Matthews makes up for he he's contributed to just over um, thirty or sorry just under thirty six percent of the Maple Leafs goals. Now this is a team that runs four lines consistently. Uh, yes, the fourth line only gets seven, five to seven minutes a game, but they run four lines consistently. The Edmonton Oilers at this point in time do not run four lines consistently. No. McDavid plays far more often than, you know, uh, Matthews sees the ice. And I will hopefully I, – I, I am going to release an article where I, I do talk about the undervalue of Matthews in terms of the Hart Trophy. And I'll I'll break down the points per minute – played because I do think that's a big thing that said after McDavid scored his hundredth point in this this past uh, this past game for the Oilers I did tweet that McDavid has a hundred points okay 20 of those points are secondary assists which make up for just under 20 percent of his overall points mm-hmm. 35 of those points are coming on the power play which make up for just under 35 percent of his overall points he's also contributed to 58 percent of Edmonton's goals this season through fi- through just under 53 games at the time and I wrote at the end otherwise who would hashtag food for thought now my thinking there is look Matthews has only contributed to about 30, what did I say, 35% of the the Leafs goals. That's that's in terms of assists, secondary assists, whatever you may be, goals, whatever it may be. He's scoring at a clip of 
0.81 goals per game. 66 adjusted. Yes. So he has he has 40 goals through the 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 team's the team's game so far. He's also missed three games throughout the season. His numbers right now in terms of the overall goal scoring, yes, he's he's a, a goal scorer rather than a overall point getter. But when you look at Edmonton, McDavid plays far more and 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 makes up for most of that team's overall offensive output. For a guy like Matthews to score 40 goals in a season where you know, four lines are getting ice time on a consistent basis. Is that not more impressive in terms of, look, this is Toronto's only Toronto's second division win since 1967. How valuable has Matthews been to that team? Extremely valuable. I mean, (laughs) there's no other way to look at it. Um, even drawing up a comparison like previously before I saw like Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid in terms of goal production. Um, I believe it was like goals for high danger goals for expected goals for, and Matthews had a significant edge in those departments over McDavid and granted that Matthews is a goal scorer. He is going to have more better or he's going to have better numbers, but Connor McDavid gave him a run for, you know, that Rocket Richard trophy as well. So the fact that Matthews missed, missed three or four games because of an injury, still have those numbers and still be on pace for 66 goals. Yeah, that, that is damn impressive. And, you know, he, he recently just scored his third 40 goal season of his career. I'm just going to throw back to his sophomore and his third season where he scored 34 and 37. Had he not missed those games, he easily could have five 40-goal seasons right now. There's no other way around it. Because he missed, a, in his second season, he missed um, about 20 games due to injury, and he still had 34 goals. He missed 12 games, 14, sorry, I can't do math, in 2018-19, and he had 37 goals. He was on pace for 50 last year. He would have, he actually, no, he was on pace for about 56 and he was at 47. He would have broke the 50 barrier had it not been for the league shutdown. And he was in a fight for that Rocket Richard. So anybody who's saying that, oh, Matthews is only scoring because of the North Division, no, cut that crap out because he did it last year against every single team in the NHL. I love that argument. I love it. I you, you do you know the like mocking SpongeBob meme? Yeah. Where it's like the up and down lower cases. Oh, because it's the North Division and stuff like that. That that's what it reminds me of. And that every single time that says, oh, but he plays in the North Division. That's the meme that comes to my mind. You're playing. You're playing against last year's Vesna Trophy winner on a consistent yeah. basis. Get out of here when it, with that North Division bullshit. And also the Maple Leafs shut down the top two players on the Oilers for two straight games. So. There's that going as well. But, I mean, let's face it. His pace, his goal-scoring pace is nothing short of the best in this league right now. I think he is better than Alex Ovechkin at this point. And we're being spoiled right now as fans, seeing him score the way that he is at an unprecedented pace. And like you said, it's not that it take away from McDavid because 
if it was adjusted for, you know, a regular 82 game season, McDavid would be on pace for 166 points. I mean, that is just ridiculous for a single season. That would have him tied with Wayne Gretzky in 1984-85. I mean, already fourth best per game, fourth best point per game career overall. It's magnificent. But the fact that, you know, if you're looking at more of like actual production, Matthews' goal production or goal four production, which I alluded to before, is better than McDavid. So you have that argument if you want to include Matthews in the heart in the heart trophy race. And again, I know we talked about this before. If make if Connor McDavid, which he is probably going to lead the league in scoring every single damn year because he's that damn good with, you know, 120 points. And if that's the measure for the Hart Trophy, that's not what it is. It's most valuable. And again, he probably deserves it this time around because of the fact that, you know, the Oilers technically only have two players in, in point production with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. To say that, you know, it's to have him win next year and the year after that, it's not going to be fair. Matthews's impact to this team is absolutely valuable and it can't go unnoticed. And to be honest, McDavid is going to win Hart Trophies down the road. But then again, that's not what the Hart Trophy is about. Most valuable. The fact that the Leafs are in first place. He's had a great amount of game-winning goals. I believe he leads the league or is among the league leaders 12. in that regard. 12, 12 game-winning game goals. McDavid has 10. Settle has 8. So he, he's besting both of them in that regard. The fact that, you know, points is for the Art Ross. McDavid has that locked up, no doubt about it. But Hart Trophy, Matthews is having more of a valuable impact to his team with the overall team success where the Maple Leafs are in first, they have the division title, whereas McDavid only is basically the only player in triple digits right now. And him and Dreisaitl are the, are the only two doing their work. So who really is more valuable at this point? I'm looking at it from a team perspective. Yeah, Matthews doesn't have the assists, but the, his overall impact to their success is greater than just one guy getting 100 points constantly every single year. And yeah, I, I, and again, people may take that the wrong way. McDavid is always going to be up for the Hart Trophy. No doubt about it. But you know what? This time around, it's a good coin flip, and I think it could go either way. Yeah, no, I, I think the things that stand out to me is I, I saw the argument that, um, you know, McDavid had a had a heart trophy stolen from him in, in 17-18 as a 21-year-old. He had a heart trophy stolen from him in 18-19 as a 22-year-old, uh, um, where he finished third uh, in, in heart trophy voting. And, and now they're saying that, you know, it, it – it's possible that maybe Austin Matthews deserves the heart, but McDavid's going to win it because of his point totals. And, and for me, what stands out the most is is those two numbers that I, I tweeted out. Is that you know, one twenty of his points are secondary assists, and that could simply mean touching the puck in the neutral zone, and, and that's how he gets an assist. The other thing was 35 power play points. And we all know the struggles that the Maple Leafs have had this season in terms of power play. And 
for for that to make up 35% of McDavid's overall points, that to me says a lot. Um, the fact that that Matthews has been able to do what he's done at five on five, no a- empty net goals, so 40 goals with none on the empty net, mm-hmm. that is what really stands out to me. And I think that's why I look at him as possibly the most valuable player to his team. Yeah. Because what he's been able to do, not only 12 game winners, no empty netters, he has 40 goals this season. He He's he's putting the puck in the net. Um, and the 20 the twenty secondary assists is what really stands out to me. That's 20% of, of his overall points. Um, that's not – and again, I'm not taking anything away from McDavid. I think what he's been able to do this year is, is truly incredible. Um, he's arguably the best player in the in the game right now. Um, and on any other given team, maybe a Stanley Cup winner as well. That said, Matthews got his team a division title. Title, And for those arguing that it's a different season, blah, 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 forget that argument. Look, the yeah. season is what it is. <laughs> the season is what it is. These guys are playing 56 games under incredibly crazy circumstances. For them to be able to do what they did – it's a divisional title. It's a banner raised at the at the Scotiabank Arena. It's it's a success for the Toronto Maple Leafs to be where they are right now. And to get them there, Austin Matthews scored 40 goals. That's the way I look at it. Not from a Leaf fan standpoint, but from a hockey standpoint, mm-hmm. he has been the most valuable to his team. You mentioned that Connor McDavid had a, a Hart Trophy stolen in 2018-19, correct? Yes, I did. That year, Nikita Kucherov won with 128 points, and that was the year that Tampa Bay had one of the most dominating seasons for a team, if I'm not correct. No, no, I I think you're spot on with that one. 62-16-4 with 128 points. First in the NHL, I believe that they won the President's Trophy. And that's where the whole President's Trophy curse came in because they lost and got swept in the first round of the playoffs to the Blue Jackets, I believe. Gave up a massive lead in game one. Yeah. So to say that McDavid had an MVP stolen from him that year when Nikita Kucherov led that team and carried them on his back with that amount of points, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't see that argument. Remember too, though, at that point, um, sorry, Connor McDavid did have 116 points in 78 games, he along did. with a 41 goal season. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it was. I'm just saying there was there was an argument made on Twitter where they they mentioned how he had had two hearts stolen from him in previous years. I don't. I mean, I, I I think Kucherov was was a hundred percent the the Hart Trophy winner that year. I think I mean to take anything away from Tampa that season uh, is is a complete joke. Yeah. Um, that said, I do believe that in in 2017-18 he had 108 points in 82 games, led the league with points, um, and he finished fifth in Hart voting, which was kind of a questionable call. But I, I mean. We're sitting here now with him leading the league in points with 100 points in 53 games, and here I am questioning whether he should win the Hart Trophy. So I guess we're kind of in the same book <laughs> at that in, in that sense. Yeah, and and 
to your effect, I mean, Austin Matthews barely has, I mean, with the power play that has struggled so far this season, most of his goals came at even strength. More damage, and and to me, that is more impressive than getting a goal on a power play because you have a man advantage. So the fact that he's still being lights out good at five on five, even when the power play is not great at all, I mean, shouldn't that be in consideration as well? Worth noting that of Austin Matthews' points this season, 27 goals coming at five on five, 27 of his 40 goals. 43 points overall coming at five on five. So um, over half half, uh, what he's been able to do at even strength is, is really in, in it it really is crazy. So, um, and when it comes to close games, um, he's had 31 points, 20 goals in, in those 50 games. So just that, that that's where I guess I'm coming from is that I think he doesn't, get enough credit when it comes to the heart talk Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of when the team is tied, he has 19 points, including 12 goals. So that, that really, that there's your 12 game winners right there for Austin Matthews over this, this uh, 50 game season he's had. Definitely. And, and like you said, uh, if McDavid does, or if McDavid does win it this year, it is deserving because it is an impressive feat. He's close to two points per game. Absolutely. I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But That's Connor Bedard-type that, uh, uh, type numbers. <laughs> very, very. And to say that, oh, Austin Matthews doesn't deserve it, come on. Like, what he's doing this year should not be... Both players are having phenomenal years. And to be honest, if either or wins it, I'm not going to be disappointed. But you know what? It Like you said... Austin Matthews should get more recognition and he is probably flying under the radar because of the fact that, you know, and someone may look to the fact that, oh, because McDavid is carrying his team where, you know, him and Dreisaitl are the only players doing anything. Yeah, I can understand that. But I don't know. The Maple Leafs are in first and it's kind of the same thing where Sheldon Keefe is not getting as much recognition for the Jack Adams award. He won a division title and Dave Tippett is getting more of a nod over him. I, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I know. I don't see that either. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what Sheldon Keefe has done with, uh, you know, your starting goalie going down, injuries to Muzzin, injuries to, to Matthews. Uh, the defense. The defense. I mean, the fact that he's not even being talked about right now in, in that circle just amazes me. But I I'm mean, more upset with that than this. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, you know, the hate for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's it's it's always going to be that way. There's going to be yeah. so much love for them, but there's going to be so much hate for them. And, you know, that's what we uh, that's the, the market we live in uh, as, as Toronto Maple Leafs fans, as is tradition. But <laughs> here we are on another Sunday night recording our sticks in the six podcast because that's what we do we 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 bleed blue and uh it just wouldn't be the same if we weren't talking maple leafs hockey absolutely and also very clinch miss part two to everybody out there with that division title there you go there you go (laughs) um with that i think we've gone on long enough uh obviously with the interview we're looking at uh just over a two-hour episode so if you stuck with us all the way we appreciate you 
Obviously, we would love if you hit the record or sorry, the uh, follow button uh, as we as we get into the wee hours of Monday morning. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you all again for joining us for episode 39 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at sticks in the six pod S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcast and download our latest episode, as well as click that follow button, hit subscribe, and maybe leave us a review so we can know that we're doing all right with this whole podcast thing. Rate and review um, so that we can continue to bring you guys so much more content as we head over to the YouTube channel. Um, Until next time, that's all we have. For Peter and myself, we look forward to talking again next week. See you then.